I really loved working with junior technicians and watching them grow, right? Watching them figure it out, see that kind of light in their eyes uh, when they finally hit right on what, you know, how the system functioned and, and how prepare might play out. Welcome to Diesel Stories, where we sit down with professionals across the industry to hear about their journey. I'm Jacob Finley, along with Chris O'Brien. Today, we're talking with Tim Haas, Director of Shop Training at Boss Truck Shops. Tim Haas, welcome to the podcast. Jacob, hey, good to be with you today. Yeah, really, uh, really glad to speak with you. And uh, we haven't met in person. Um, it's still the time of COVID, but um, really glad that we got connected. And you actually live in the same town randomly as my parents up in Utah. Yeah, Brigham, Brigham City. Brigham Beautiful. City, Utah. Kind of, kind of, um, maybe we can talk about that, kind of spurred this whole thing. But um, Tim, if, if you could, you know, tell us what, uh, maybe what you do and how did you get to this point? You know, where'd you grow up? You're in Utah now, but you're not from Utah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So currently um, I work for a company, uh, Boston Enterprises, um, and one of our divisions is the Bosch Truck Shops. Um, we're a nationwide um, repair company um, all over the U.S., uh, 46 locations currently. Um, I actually started with them as a technician right in Ogden, Utah. Um, stayed with them. I've been with them about uh, 12 years now. Um, working my way from tech uh, to GM to regional manager. I'm actually now uh, currently our director of training and, and development for all of our shops. So it's very cool. Um, it, yeah, it's really cool. Um, you get a, I get kind of a chance to impact a lot larger uh, population than you do even just at maybe the shop level. You get to kind of design um, training programs. You know, watch uh, industry trends and kind of meet that need. So um, it's been a great journey. Um, I, yeah, like you said, I'm not originally from Utah. Um, I'm actually from North Carolina. Uh, Greensboro is where I was born at. Nice. Um, we lived there for about two years. It was a uh, beautiful place. Uh, go Tar Heels. So. <laughs> that's, uh, no, is that I great? can't do that's any anymore. That was one big, huge change. Now I've been back a couple of times and the humidity out there is pretty, it's pretty tough after you're, you know, after a Utah boy, it's really dry out here. That's Greensboro, uh, right? Greensboro. Greensboro. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's where, uh, Snyder's got their. Headquarters, I think. That's yeah, right. I've been there. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Good guys. Another good company. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, we ended up out in Utah. Well, it was a while ago. I mean, we, we moved, I think it was 89. Uh, it was my oh, wow. Mother. Yeah, it was a long time ago. So, my mother and uh, my two brothers, I've got two younger brothers, uh, Lyle and Andy. Little shout out there. Good, good guys. Uh, and we ended up uh, in Ogden. Um, beautiful place. Uh, a little rough in the beginning. You know, they didn't like that. Uh, that country boy accent. So I got, you know, yeah, huh. razzed in school a little bit, but um, fell in love with Utah um, a long time ago. Beautiful, beautiful place. And, and Ogden, by the way, has gotten a lot nicer. I mean, late eighties, it was rough. Yeah. Yeah. They had a big turnaround um, in the early two thousands. They, they really cleaned up Ogden. They, there was a kind of a big controversy out there actually because the mayor said, um, kind of this whole downtown Ogden area, we're just going to go through and um, we'll try to buy everything we can. We're going to revamp it. And, you know, we'll make you a fair offer on your, on your home, your property. And if you don't, we'll, we'll condemn it. That actually happened a couple of times. And there's a few lawsuits, but something um, about a river up really well. Yeah, it's river, beautiful down maybe. there. They've, they've yeah. had a lot of really nice um, kind of the newer age um, shopping centers with a lot of like the iFly, which is a really cool 
uh, experience. If you haven't had a chance, it's kind of it kind of replicates skydiving. Um, the Megaplex Cedars are down there. It's really, really um, they did a, they did a really good job. And in Ogden, you're pretty close to some nice ski resorts. I know they had the Olympics there back in 2002. Snow was it Snow Basins just up the canyon um, and stuff. And I think there's, uh, I mean, as part of the That's revitalization, yep. yeah, yeah, there's several, yeah. And yeah. then I think there's actually some ski companies that came in from out of town to Ogden. Anyway, so it's kind of turned into a cool place. So you, so you got there when it was uh, way, uh, I guess, grittier, right? Yeah, it was a lot. It. it was a lot different. Yeah, a little bit rougher. And we were, you know, we weren't uh, we weren't rich. You know, we weren't the poorest guys in the neighborhood. So we grew up. Um, you know, times were tight in for us. And, and Ogden was a was a um, you know, it was a journey. And mm. I still loved it. I still do. Um, but it uh, wasn't easy. Um, it was you know, it was harder for a lot of the people than it ever was for me. But um, it, uh, but I, I I loved it. And I've done now. Uh, I do snowboarding. I can't ski. I've tried yes. it. <laughs> really just came more natural to me yeah i don't uh, the single board has just always been an easier concept for me to grasp so um snowboarded up there it's a blast my brothers are way better by the way i better say that or else i'm never gonna hear the end of it so where would you guys go um, from ogden um wolf mountain mostly it's a little bit cheaper up there yeah uh, snow basin and stuff is is nice really nice but it carries that price tag so right um, wolf mountain's actually just out right outside of eden uh, Powder Mountains, right up in that same area, Snowbird, all that's kind of. Yeah, they changed the name to. Um, I actually took my kids there to get ski lessons early on, and uh, my latest. I have eight kids total, so the latest child to go get ski lessons. We're going up in a couple weeks. Uh, we've already got it scheduled and stuff. Uh, it's called Nordic Valley now, that's right. and they're um, supposedly putting in a bunch of investment. But yeah, uh, Snow Basin w- is owned or was owned by the same guy who started Sinclair Oil, right? Okay. I forgot what his, what his name was, but I guess he just dumped hundreds of millions of dollars into developing it that, you know, will never get recovered out of the resort. But he had that kind of money. Um, and it's just this super exclusive kind of what I think they're building something even more exclusive up there. But I hear you. Yeah. Wolf Mountain. Good choice. Yeah. yeah listen, that's <laughs> definitely it. Here. It never was great at it, but it's, it is fun. So that's cool um, that you snowboard too, by the way, because I've only ever skied and haven't, uh, I guess, gotten around to trying snowboarding. And um, it's fun. I, yeah, I guess I get it's Chris. Yeah. I, I've never snowboarded. I, I've only skied. Have and you that seen was, snow, Chris? Yeah, yeah exactly. We're in Arizona. <laughs> I almost see. Yeah. So I, yeah, I definitely was. Uh, I'm a desert. I'm a desert rat. Right. I grew up in Tucson and uh, lived in Phoenix and uh, Tucson most of my life. But I, um, there's actually a ski resort in Tucson on Mount Lemmon, the yeah. furthest South ski resort in North America. I think back in the day when I grew up, there was no ski resort. Oh, really? <laughs> it was just Mount Lemmon. But yeah. yeah, there's, uh, um, I, I, I've only skied, but my sister snowboards and she claims it's easier, but, um, I, I think that's all part of like the training and what you end up doing and who teaches you how. Yeah, exactly. You have a good teacher, right? Okay, cool. So you got, so you guys, uh, went skiing. Um, that's good. Uh, you guys, uh, had the opportunity to do that. That's like a dream for a lot of people. I think we have to drive two and a half hours just to get to a ski resort. So it's cool to like live right down there. Um, and what were your, I guess, influences? How did you, I mean, how did you end up where you are on doing uh, diesel repair training? Uh, did you get into that early on or did you do something different? Yeah, I wish, you know, I wish I could say the, the you know, the kid's dream and, and went all the way out, but actually I started in the medical field. So. Um, I was a uh, medic in the army and, um, okay. I got out of that. 
um, and tried it in civilian life, and I and I didn't care for it. I always tell people, I said I got into diesel because when I fix it, it, it usually stays, usually stays alive and stays fixed. So um, the way I got in was actually kind of two big influences for me were my uh, my grandfather Charlie, uh, who passed just uh, just a year before last. Mm. Uh, he was an EOD guy and loved to. He was that old school class, you know that that kind of generation that that we see kind of moving on. But yeah. Um, you know, the thought, the belief that you should be able to, you know, if you, you know, you, if it could be done, you should be able to do it, right. You should be paying someone else to do it. So we actually always kind of wrenched, um, kind of on the side. Um, he always fixed his own cars. He'd buy them from the auction. So I really got a, a chance to spend some time with him. And I, and I, and I enjoyed it more as that opportunity to spend time with him than, than really necessarily as a career. But, um, once I kind of fell out of love with the medical industry, and, uh, and much love to guys that do that, by the way, please. I'm not, uh, I mean, you sound demeaning about it at all, but it just wasn't for me. But yeah, my brother Lyle, actually, my little brother, so that's kind of, it's almost kind of embarrassing, right? So I kind of actually followed my little brother Lyle. Um, he was going to uh, DATC, uh, Davis Applied Tech Center down here um, in uh, Kaysville. And he says, hey, you know, you've got to, you've got to try this. It's really fun. And um, a really solid career. So I did some research on it and, and I thought, you know what? Uh, we'll give this a shot. And I kind of ran with it. And then uh, my brother Lyle and I um, went through the program down there at the GATC, a very good program, by the way. Is that still around, uh, by the way? They are. Yeah, they're getting bigger, actually. They're doing really well. The trades the trades in Utah are doing, you know, the state's done a good job about making them accessible and affordable. Um, and so they are still there. And it's still a really good program. So. Got it. That's good to hear. Yeah, it is. And so, and, um, and I fell in love with it um, right away. Um, I love the industry. Um, I really love, um, I like stability too. I'm kind of old school like that, but, um, I love the people. I love the grittiness of it. Kind of like we talked before. Um, I love the technicians. I love our customer base. I mean, um, truck drivers to me are some of the best people I've ever met. Um, and they're really just, you know, they're out there every day. They're sacrificing. And I really felt like it was really, um, just really cool to be a part of that. So I fell right in love with it. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, okay. it was. It was way cool. So. I noticed too, uh, uh, Tim. You, you just recently got your CDL. Is that is that correct? I do. Yeah. So my first job was with the construction company, um, and uh, it's kind of the wild west of diesel parents. How I always kind of describe it, and you're kind of a jack of all trades. So um, and they actually, you know, and, and this was all kind of occurring. I started in um, 07 at diesel. And um, so 08 was coming and I worked for a construction company. So you can imagine about how rough that was, but um, we had to kind of jack of all trade it. So um, they actually helped me get my CDL. And, um, you know, when times got tight, I'd actually drive, um, you know, double belly dumps, you know, an old P379 with Cummins in it and 129,000 pound load on it. We'd actually load right up here out of uh, the Sticker Parsons. Um, rock it right here in Brigham and haul it down to Salt Lake City to get processed for uh, concrete. And then at the end of the day, you know, we take all the driver's tickets and my brother and I, my brother worked there with me as well, Lyle. We'd go kind of back um, and put in another couple of hours um, working on all the trucks. So um, Wait a minute. it was, uh, yeah, so CDL was a big part of it. Uh, just to clarify, you know, for those guys that are listening, I'm a, I'm a mechanic, I'm not a truck driver. Uh, I can do it, right? But uh, <laughs> That takes a special skill. You're not entering the set, national you know? championships. So, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm not winning awards for it. So, um, yeah, so yeah, I have my CDL. I actually so, stepped. I actually stuck with school too. I um, 
the DATC has a really great program with Weber State. Um, and I actually stuck all the way through it. I got my associates in heavy truck and then finally my bachelor's um, in uh, field service operations. So, because um, cool. management was always kind of a bigger target for me as well. Um, so I could kind of help technicians as they were coming along. That was another thing I found I really loved um, as we were going through. I really loved working with junior technicians and watching them grow, right? Watching them figure it out, see that kind of light in their eyes uh, when they finally hit right on what, you know, how this system functioned and, and, and you know, kind of how to uh, prepare my play out. So um, that was always kind of my longer game. Um, and uh, Utah's really good. It has a really good program all the way through. So, yeah, it's good to hear. Utah's a unique state. Uh, they, Utah tends to row in a slightly different direction than the rest of the country in certain ways, not in a bad way, just different. Right. Um, so I mean, there's another indicator there. That's good. Cause we, I mean, outside of Utah, um, from everything we can see, technical schools are closing, yeah. uh, not opening. So yeah, that's and Utah's cool. a, it's a really industrial state. That's how I always describe it to people. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of our main staples are manufacturing, transport, um, warehousing, things like that. And so the state's done a really good job about investing in that infrastructure on both ends, um, right? And industry wide, yeah. that's a big failure we see out there, especially in our industries. Um, it won't just be private companies that kind of solve these issues that we see coming. It's going to have to be a partnership between states, schools employers um, and Utah's done really great with that. I mean, they've done a really good job about um, pushing um, technical college rather than necessarily maybe chasing that bachelor's degree. Hmm. And, uh, and you see it, I mean, they've got the commercials for it, the funding DATC and Weber state are both state funded schools um, and they're you know, very affordable for both of them. Are, are um, you, are you seeing uh, the high schools they're keeping the shops open like uh, auto shop programs open? They are. Yeah, we do. We do see some of them. It's been, I mean, COVID has been just a, you know, just a challenge from, you know, from any angle. Right. Uh, we do still see some of them. Um, they are still having those programs. DATC has done really well. I just interviewed a potential new hire for our shop right here in Ogden that was a DATC graduate. Um, so they're still, and he was in, he was in automotive in high school. So it's still playing out here. Um, and that's, I mean, it's really good to see, especially when we start to see these trends that are happening and, you know, all across the country or industry, it's really good to see that. Yeah, that's cool. So, so did you say you started, I might've missed this, but did, did you say you started in diesel in 2007? Correct. Yep. So you were in the army up to that point? Oh, six. Yeah. Up, 06. up until 06 as a medic. And um, when, one of the things that we tell about our backstory with full bay is that we kind of built it and Chris and I previously in a past life worked for an electronic medical records company and kind of our thesis in building it was, um, Hey, let's take some of the best ideas from the electronic medical records world that maybe aren't seeing the light of day. Um, maybe they are, um, and apply them in truck repair and essentially build a medical record for trucks right and heavy equipment and gear it toward you know preventive medicine preventive maintenance so on and so forth so it's cool to cool to hear that in your they're background. very similar yeah a lot of people wouldn't think that they're actually quite similar so. yeah so you were doing soap notes and all that you ever run into that did they make um, you do that the you're talking about sop shop operational or no 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 in the medical so the soap note like subjective objective assessment plan oh i'm sorry yeah 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 yeah, yeah, they'll, yeah they'll train you yeah they that's one of the first things they train you when you're a medic is doing your kind of um your kind of diagnostic so yeah um 
yeah, it was it was interesting. I never saw I never saw overseas combat. By the way, but I clarify that. I hate guys that make that claim. But yeah, um, sure, sure. Probably pretty fortunate. Um, I was pretty young and pretty dumb, so I probably I probably would have been uh, I would have come home. So um, yeah, it was it was an interesting time. Uh, being a medic in the army was definitely definitely interesting. Um, a great opportunity, by the way, and I always love those guys that serve. It's really, it's really a, it was a blessing for me. But um, yeah, I just found it just wasn't, it just wasn't something I wanted to carry in the civilian world. So yeah, I know, um, kind of that 06, 07 transition. I just said, you know, this isn't working for me. My brother law knew that. He knew I wasn't too happy. Hmm. Uh, kind of with the way things are going, and he said, look, you've got to try it. So, um, and I got to tell you, it's probably the best decision. That, man, I love this industry. Yeah, those cool. guys out there, they're looking at it. Um, I've got to tell you, it's, you know, they, you know, we, and a lot of times, you know, and this is probably true of every younger generation, you know, you hear this all the time, we're talking about all oh, the kids these days. And I imagine that our parents said the same thing about us. So, but, um, you know, a lot of times you see them and looking out there and they're looking at career choices and they want, you know, that kind of, that kind of you know, glamorous and that kind of, you know, technical, uh, the bachelor's degree and they push these different things that you see, but the diesel industry offers several things, but you know, if you're looking for a career choice, I've got to tell you, stability is the number one. And when you're a little younger, those that maybe that's not quite as important, but um, I've got to tell you, as you get older and you start having kids, you said, uh, Chris, or, uh, Jake, you had eight, I've got uh, two of my own two boys. Um, and I look at them every day and, and it changes kind of your perspective on what matters. Yeah. And, and stability became a big, big, big important thing for me. And um, diesel is getting more glamorous, by the way. Let me not make it sound <laughs> so Neanderthal, yeah. you know, Neanderthal task, but it's no, really it's changed. Not. No, it's not. How did, but, um, I was going to ask you, yeah, how, how did your brother talk you into it, right? I mean, what, what, how did you view it before? You're like, oh, Lyle's in this and um, yeah. poor him. I'm traveling the world <laughs> as a medic. Right. Um, where did you end up uh, serving, by the way? Were you, uh, were, were you stateside most of the time? I was, yeah. I, I had one deployment. It was to Central America, uh, to Belize, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful country. But, it's a tough assignment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous country. So, um, no, he just, um, he just said, you know, it's, it's, um, he, and he had kind of followed the automotive track and like our grandpa Charlie. So he, he, he had, uh, he'd done auto in, in school and he kind of stuck with that. And um, he had had a job. I remember he was talking to me about it. Um, and he says, yeah, you know, because I was looking for a job. Um, I was working in kind of a, uh, like a home, like a, like a long-term care a long-term care facility. And uh, it was rough. And um, mm. I said, you know, I'm looking, I was looking to be an EMT um, stateside. You know, it's kind of the, that's kind of the direct transition from a medic to the civilian kind of equivalent. And I found out, you know, you know, right away, that, you know, to be an EMT in the state of Utah, you have to go back to school with your firefighter certification. And so, and they'll hire you before you've got it, but it was, it was, it was looking slim, right? You know, I was applying actually in North Ogden. Um, they've got a nice fire department there. And, um, you know, he says, yeah, you know, you get a pretty good chance in your military background. You know, you got to go to school. He says, oh, I think we've only got about, you know, 16 other applicants, hmm. right? So he tells me for the one position. Crap. Yeah, for one position. And so I says, you know, I'm kind of talking to my brother Lyle about it. And he says, hey, he says, you know, he had a job. He says, yeah, I went to school and uh, my instructor, um, Neil Cheney, real good guy, says, you know, um, just go apply right here. You know, and he walked down, he says he applied, he had a job the next day. I thought, that's crazy. You know, so I did some research. I've always been kind of a research guy. And the, you know, the higher rates 
and it's even worse now than it was then. But I mean, you're looking at one for one. You know, normally they'd have, you know, at this time in 07, they're having, you know, one, maybe one and a half applicants for every opening. And you looked like EMT and the type of field I was looking at, and you're looking at two, three applicants per you know, position. So I said, oh, it's pretty interesting. You know, what they pay you, right? You've always got to ask that. So I asked them what they paid them, and it was pretty good money. And I said, well, that's, you know, you can't beat that. And I said, you know, well, I'll come down and take a look. I actually went down and DTC will take you on a kind of a tour down there. And I got to see kind of the way the school was laid out. And I was just so impressed. And it was, and it was a lot more technology than you would have imagined. Even then on seven, it was starting to change. But, um, and I was just thought this is really a lot different than I imagined it was going to be. You know, you think of a semi truck, you, you know, especially back then you're thinking, you know, just this big, you know, black smoking, you know, grease dumping, you know, old love truck, right. But it, it's, it really wasn't, it was a lot more technologically advanced than I'd imagined. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was just impressed and it, I, it caught my imagination right then and, and, and the stability of it that it offered and the pay was all good. So, um, so he sold me on it and he did. Yeah. He, uh, he took me under his wing, you know, I think I'm nine years his senior. So it was a little odd, but, um, I think I was 26 or 27 at the time. Something that's good. Like you don't that. want to fall into older brother syndrome where you discount anything your right. younger sibling says. I know all about that because I'm in the middle of seven. So yeah, that's good. Good for you. <laughs> so uh, Tim, going into you know diesel tech, so you're turning wrenches doing diesel tech. Were, were you like a guy that um, people would go to or, or look to for advice, or you kind of just naturally started leading folks, and which led you to you know shop foreman and, and moving up into like a trainer role? Yeah. So um, I you know and I I found I did have a gift. You'll kind of fall. You kind of find it. You know, usually in the diesel industry, especially as you get more advanced, technicians will kind of excel in one area or the other. I call them hardware and software tech, right? Um, and the hardware guys are your clutch and trans and your bushings, mm-hmm. um, and things like that. And then systems guys and software guys, that was kind of more my strength. So I was really good at advanced diagnostic. Um, I had a natural affinity for non visual systems like AC, hmm. um, you know, electronic engine diagnostic. and um, not now, not now. The beginning, and let me tell you, some guys say, you know, I do a lot of tech support with the with the program we run now. And I said, oh, Tim, man, you know, you're so smart. You know, how'd you get there? And I, you, know, you got to stay humble. I tell him, I said, well, here's how you do it. I said, this is my advice to junior technicians. I said, all I had to do was screw everything up for about the first two years, and uh, then you start to figure it out. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. That's kind of the point we make, and. Um, after, you know, after a year or two, yeah, I kind of found, you know, I was already the elder brother, so I kind of had an affinity, like you said, for leadership. Um, my skill set started to develop within that first couple of years. And, um, and I was always a hard worker. Um, I like to work hard. Um, and so I moved when I was at CEO at the, the construction company. Um, I moved from a technician to night foreman to shop foreman in about two years. And, um, I found that it was, it was the reward of watching others grow. You know, it was always something I really just loved. Um, and it just kind of, that just kind of stayed my career path as I moved. Um, same thing. I kind of had an interim there. I went from a construction company to an auto transport company. Um, the, the, those were some rough days. Um, that was a little bit darker of a location. And, um, I was only there about a year. And then I found um, Boss Truck Shop, the company I'm with now, really great company, family owned. Um, the last, I always call them the last of the little big guys. And, and, um, yeah, I'm kind of followed that same path, you know, from technician to GM to regional to trainer. Um, if you've got a real affinity for, for that growth and that empathy, emotional IQ is what kind of the buzzwords you'll hear around it. But, 
um, this is a great industry to grow as a leader and grow as a technician. So um, it was, uh, it was, it's always been a fun journey. That's the one thing. It's really odd. I always tell people I'm broken for any other, for any other industry now, because um, you know, this industry is not quite as PC as some, I really like that about it. You know, you can be a lot more human here than mm-hmm. you can in some industries and um, a lot more allowance for mistakes and things like that. So um, I always just enjoyed it. And, and luckily I worked for people who recognize that skill and um, in this industry anyway, by nature, um, it's easier to advance. I mean, I found that to be the case across multiple, you know, now I've, I'm getting my MBA now. And so, you know, you get a chance to get kind of exposed to other industries. Nice. And what I found is, yeah, you know, the diesel industry really with the way the market and the labor market shaping up, it's a place that you can grow. You can grow rapidly. Um, a lot of people don't realize it, but the pay is much better. I mean, you know, medium income for, a diesel technician in the United States is slightly higher than the medium income for a bachelorette. So yeah. um, it's just a real, um, a real great place to be in. And um, I was fortunate enough to be pretty good at it. So that's cool. Hey, where are you getting your MBA? SUU. So uh, Weber was a no go for me. I wanted to go back to Weber State, um, but I don't you have get... a business undergrad. You know, I've got a, a, oh. a bachelor's of applied science. So they wanted me to take like five extra classes and just, you know, for you guys looking at an MBA, the cost per credit is unbelievable. And yeah. uh, five extra classes was like another, oh man, it was like another 4000 or $6,000 in a year. It was like almost a year's time. Right. So um, SUU has a great kind of online fast track. Um, you got to be ready to work hard because it comes at you fast. But they actually combine all four of those prereq you know, non-business undergrad classes into a single course. And um, so my first class there was my meat grinder. And um, it was it was pretty rough, but- There's some um, good I'm stuff in there. Halfway, halfway through now, so. I mean, all those classes that you take in an MBA program, um, like in some form, uh, form or another would be so beneficial for any shop owner out there. I'm not seriously su- necessarily suggesting that you gotta go get your MBA, but like, you're talking like, um, cause they run you through the ringer in an MBA program with like finance yeah. operations. You're going to do some accounting, marketing, you know, all these basics that, um, a lot of shop owners, um, they can definitely, they can do the diag and the repair and so forth, but maybe on the business side of things, like just a little bit of, um, training on that end, uh, would go, would just have like a massive difference. So good for you going through that. I mean, that's going to give you quite the perspective. I think that's really, that's really good. It is. Yeah. I was going to ask if you were going to go to Weber state. Um, glad you didn't like get banned from campus, the four class thing. That's understandable. So when you first (laughs) said that it was a no go for you, but my, I I felt bad. Yeah. I almost felt bad. I'm in a wildcat from Salai. I said, Oh, you know, with the costs, you get away those costs. And it was, it was, Oh yeah. It's totally reasonable. Plus if you can do it online, my, uh, cousin in law, I guess, is the head of the accounting program over there at Weber state. So yeah, good school. Too, yeah. Good. Way. Yeah. Thanks. Great school. Um, I, I was wondering, um, sorry, Chris, did I interrupt you? No, we're good. We're good. Well, I was wondering, so you have such a unique path going into this where, you know, you, your brother Lyle talked you into it and introduced you to it. Does that help you? Do you do a lot of recruiting, trying to get people to switch careers and get into, you know, diesel repair? Does that ever come up with you? Um, and if so, you know, how do you think your path influenced that? 
Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Our Probably our most natural transition that we recruit from is automotive, um, just because there's so many more benefits to diesel than there is to auto. Um, but we have a lot of guys, and we see it play out. Um, and, yeah, like you said, kind of coming from that same natural path, we see it a lot in our in our industry, um, whether they're going to either to drive or to wrench. Um, 2008 was a big one. You know, I was kind of part of that as well. Um, but um, again, like in 2010 and 12, when, you know, when the economy got a little rocky, um, we would see that influx. And um, I love talking to people that come from other industries because it's you know, such a, it's such a um, fun transition. And I love to be part of it. So we've had guys, I've hired guys from customer service backgrounds. Um, I've hired, I haven't hired anybody else from medical background, but I've hired from customer service. Um, automotive. Um, I've had them come from um, oil fields, another big one, um, whether they're in transport or repair out there. Um, and really, it's a great path, especially when the guys get stuck, you know, or gals. Um, but when you're getting stuck out there in the industry you're in and you're looking for a place to go that can grow, um, I love to kind of tell my story and talk about it, about how, um, how advantageous it is. Um, because um, for a lot of those guys that are familiar with diesel industry, um, it's changed a lot in the last decade, especially the labor market, right? Um, baby, baby boomers are retiring um, rapidly. So a lot of our more senior level staff is retiring. We're not seeing nearly the amount of entry level applicants. Um, and so um, we're always happy to take them on a transition. And, but, you know, within that, within that risk, within that kind of threat to our industry um, is a huge opportunity for those guys that are looking, maybe you're stuck somewhere in a job you don't like, or you can't see a, a, clear, a clear career path. Um, diesel, I prom- you know, I, I, I tell these guys, I promise you the opportunities are infinite and the advancement path is rapid. I mean, it's because, you know, we don't see them coming in um, at nearly the rate. We're lucky to get one applicant for every two openings now. Yeah. That's how tight it's getting out there. And so when they come, um, it is, we, you know, we're blessed that you come to us. We are so thankful, you know, because we've been needing to fill that spot for, you know, I've got one opening in, in the location I'm in now for six months. And so, um, you know, we try not to hire warm bodies. That's a warning I always give to hiring managers. But for, a guy, you know, for a guy or gal that's really serious about uh, making that transition, because it's not, you know, it's not easy, you know, and I try to make sure I tell guys that it is, it is work. It's hard work but you're going to be rewarded for it. I mean, rewards are huge. Um, and, you know, that's one of the biggest changes we see, especially for employers is, you know, we're driven now by that kind of labor market reality that we are, we're going to take somebody that has no background. And not only are we going to take them, we're going to make sure that they've got a path for growth. They know that path for growth. We're going to be doing the training or be encouraging the training. They as he serves for the rest. And um, I can't tell you how many of our GMs, we've got 46 locations across the country. I can't tell you how many of our GMs started out for technicians. And it's huge. I mean, um, our regional managers, same kind of thing. Um, myself, a lot of our corporate guys, you know, they started, that's where they began. And that's kind of the beauty of our industry. It's, it's when you're in diesel, it's, it's diesel from top to bottom. You know, you'll have your departments, you know, you got accounting department. Clearly they, they, it, some of them might have, most of them didn't start in diesel, but all of our senior management, all of our senior leadership all come from that background. So it's, it's a lot different than you might see at a, a retail operation. Or something so you're like saying that. most of the, so the leadership of the company, they're pretty much all former techs. Right. 
began somewhere like that. Yeah, our division head, Randy Haynes, another shout out there. We know Randy. Guy. Um, yeah, he yeah. he began as a uh, technician. Um, yeah. He worked tires. That's where he came from. And, and um, he's been with our company for a long time. And he's, you know, he's our head honcho. He's our big, you know, he's the, he's the big cheese. And uh, that's true of, I think, of almost every single senior leadership position we have. They came from either diesel background, um, some were military um, you know, technician type background, but, um, it's almost, it's almost a case in every single position when you look out there. So you think Randy um, could still do a DOT? <laughs> hey, you know, this is recorded, Jake. I'm not to say, you know, probably I say what he still does. He still does tires. If you catch him in your shops, they'll do it. It's kind of part of really? our culture. I oh, love cool. my shop. I've seen him in, in shops doing tires. So you know, we, we were recently asked a question, you know, what's the, what's the average or entry level wage for technicians? What are you seeing as you're growing technicians and getting them in? You said you're hiring customer service reps. What is that entry yeah. level? And is it, is it by region for, for an entry level? Technician? Question. That's a great question. So, um, and to kind of frame it, let's, let's talk about, so when I started like in 07, um, I was making good, you know, I'm doing finger quotes here, good money then. And that was, that was, I think they paid me 10 an hour. Hmm. Um, but now we you know with how short we are. Um, our entry guys are right around 18. Um, and that's in a period of, you know, 13 or you know 14 years, the growth rate of our, of our, even our entry level, we've, we've raised our entry pay. I think every year, the last three years, then two or two or three other times, you know, about the last seven years. So, um, because we're finding that it's, you know, it's getting so hard and these are entry guys and we're raising it for our entry pay. Our top pay is, is pretty high now. I mean, we, um, our range from entry to top company wide, we kind of have a base plus commission. So it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit more unique than some other places, but, um, is right up between 18 and 34 yeah. um, per hour. So, and that's on light some, duty or heavy duty, heavy diesel, or, or is that we're, across? We're, yeah, we're class six, seven, and eight, mostly class eight. Okay. So mostly, we're almost all seven. You guys are doing mostly over the road stuff, right? With boss shops. Almost all. Yeah, yeah almost all OTR. You guys yeah. are typically parked at a truck stop at a Pilot Flying J or Correct. similar. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, what's interesting, it was just a few years ago, it was about 15 bucks we were hearing, and uh, we were predicting that it was 15 to 18, and uh, that falls right in line. Uh, especially with, you know, uh, the shortage that you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Have you guys it's seen, been, have you guys seen an impact lately? Um, there's this phenomenon we were talking, we are um, so we're recording this on, um, you know, February 12th. Yesterday we, uh, hosted a webinar with, uh, Chris and I did with the American trucking association with TMC. And this issue came up that we were talking about on, um, right now we're going through COVID and there's this supplemental unemployment benefit from the federal government. And there's this weird situation where some people make more money not working than coming back to work at the same wage they previously were at. Right. And so it's hard to like in a certain labor range and it depends on the state, but it can actually be really hard to find people in a certain labor rate range to come to work because of that supplemental. Do you guys see that at all? Is that impacting? Cause if the starting range is around 18, depending on the state, that's like right in that range. Yeah, that was the, and that was a, we don't see it necessarily within our own staffing because of course we were considered um, essential, but we saw it in applicants and it was really odd because we were seeing, um, we were seeing economies get shut down and even Utah did as well, kind of in March of last year. And we had openings in, we thought we'd see an influx and we didn't. 
that was kind of odd because they were closing a lot of places. Um, and a lot of places were either shut down or going out of business. And we, we didn't see applications. So, you know, I suspect that played a part of Utah, you know, was kind of part of that same thing. Yeah. Um, we didn't lose any of our own. We were lucky there. We didn't have to shut down. We were very fortunate, no outbreaks in our company, nothing like that. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't see many applications come in even nationwide during that time period. And, you, and with the unemployment, Utah did pretty good. We stayed pretty low, but in some of our states, maybe it was six, seven, eight, nine percent And we weren't seeing, and we weren't seeing applications coming in. We're still, we were struggling then. We're, we're still, we still are. And you're, right. I mean, you're, you're in charge of training, not just there in Ogden, but like across the board with Bosselman, right? Yeah. So I, I, I design all of our training, all of our training platforms, kind of our uh, operational policies. Um, we've got a tech support hotline as well. And then I'm also involved on warranty. So um, I kind of handle all of our kind of technical aspects. Now, you know, one of the things that, so with last year with the pandemic, you've obviously had to pivot with, um, you know, just coming into work, having weekly meetings with technicians, how close they work together. How, how's that impacted you and how's that changed the way that you train? Or, or is that now infused in the training programs and you, and you had to build all that protocol to, to cover 2020? And so it did it had a big hit. So we actually started our, our, um, a lot of our technical programs. We had a ton. I'm not going to get all of them, but we rolled a lot of them out in 20, kind of 2018, 2019, when we saw this, you know, this technician labor market shortage coming. And most of our training, and I've always found this to be true, is, you know, the most effective is hands-on. You know, we try to couple that with digital training as well. But um, in our industry, hands-on is really the most effective. So uh, we did a lot of traveling. We set up senior technicians all across the country to kind of act as um, go-to guys to help um, uh, their locations within their region. And so we had a lot of things going. 2020 was like a hammer to that. I mean, it just smashed all of them. We couldn't travel anymore. Um, you know, of course, HR was concerned about any type of exposure, especially for mandating travel. So we really cut all that back. So we mm -hmm. made a huge, huge, huge dent. Our training program for 2020. So we did digit. Uh, we did pivot to digital. Um, we're developing a lot of that now. Even that was harder though, because you know we're doing video shoots, uh, a lot of self-made content. You know, based on um, separate um, truck systems, and you know we want to shoot the videos, but we got to bring you know a, a you know video guy in for marketing. We got to get basic technicians together to do the class and kind of do the training aspect. So it's been still an in-person component. It's still yeah yeah. It, yeah. It's a challenge. I mean, it's been, it has been rough, um, you know, state by state kind of made a difference. You know, some locations like Utah was always pretty good. They never shut down the DATC, anything like that, but um, we're actually based out of Nebraska and they were, they weren't too bad either, but um, we just, you know, we just kind of got stopped right in our tracks. So this, um, this year now we're going to be releasing this year um, our first block of fundamental training, which is, you know, um, I think our four videos this year, our four training platforms this year are going to be um, basic emissions, basic electrical, DOT, and then wheel end was another one we had. So, um, and we'll do in kind of a video format and that's the way it's going to have to go. And we think that, I, we think it will stay part of our future training platform. We still are really interested in the hands-on. That's really kind of a bigger part for us. But the digital aspect, you know, you kind of learn a lot in COVID. Yeah. Um, kind of like a lot of people say. And there is a way to reach those technicians um, other than in person. And we've kind of learned that um, as we've gone through our tech support hotline and kind of our training and policy, you know, procedural rollouts. Um, and so we think that, you know, going forward, we use a, a software platform that, um, that does fairly good at it. 
um, we will continue to have that digital that digital aspect. I think it's going to keep playing a big part. Yeah. So. Now, do you, so this is like your training, you know, like the wheel ends and 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 you're you're going right into how tos right for these technicians. Are you also? So I, I worked with a group uh, when I was doing private fleet where we brought in. Um, company called Kelly Fleet Services from back in the day. They, they were based out of California and they had this whole training regiment where they brought in somebody and the shop was, you know, all these employees were set to run the shop a very specific way. This is how you run it. This is how the bays are, you know, lines were drawn on the floor, uh, jacks, everything were, you know, had their place. Do you facilitate all of that type of training and that kind of overview of on how the site is ran and designed and how people interact or is it mostly the uh, the direct technical technical training for the technicians. So we yeah we call that staging. Okay. Excuse me, staging and flow control. Mm-hmm. Um, we do um, we do training uh, on quite a bit of that, but it's mostly directed at our GMs right now. Um, it's probably not a bad idea to, to push it out to your technicians though. They they do of course take part in it, um, kind of as the end result. Um, it probably is probably that's probably actually a pretty good idea, but. Most of our training is technically focused. And like you said, we'll do some system overview, but uh, most of our training is even when we go to the video platform, it will be like a live truck teardown. It will be, yeah. uh, you know, it'll be an actual vehicle. We're actually tearing it down like on the wheel end and we're explaining each different type of um, hub assembly, you know, for its adjustment and comment and kind of the rest. Nice. And show it, talk about it. Um, and we used, that was another good thing we had last year that COVID kind of taught us is we, uh, went a lot more digital with a lot of our control systems like warranty and our tech support hotline. And so we kind of tracked them. I developed an indexing system um, and we used all of that feedback to kind of design and shape where our training was going to go. Cause that's always the kind of key, you know, diesel is such a broad, um, such a broad application and there's so many systems. And so we wanted to, yeah, we wanted a way to target what was most needed by our technicians. So we took the feedback we were getting from our tech support hotline and then combine that with the warranty returns we were seeing from our customers. And we tried to kind of shape that training tailored to what was best for both sides. Yeah. Now on the flow that you were talking about too, and how you're tracking warranty and just, well, just even parts and service orders, there's a lot of handoffs in process from customers walking in, handing keys to taking the, the, the information that these are the defects, uh, the DOT inspection, the wet service. And then you've got, you know, the traditional method that we've seen out there is, you know, handwritten ticket or some printed copy put in an envelope with keys and handed to a tech. And there's all this running back and forth and handoffs. Do you have technology that solves that problem where, you know, in Bay 12, you've got a, a technician out in that, out in that shop? How are you managing that today? Have you had to change that or are you guys still doing same standard flow processes? It's changed some. Um, we've, we've used the same software now for some time. Um, and it is, it is starting to create some challenges for us. Um, we do, it's all digital there, but then of course the, the flow control, like you're talking, it's, um, you know, panels on the wall with work orders, physical, you know, paper workers on there assigned to each technician. So, yeah, um, yeah. But the world is going more digital. We've demoed some softwares. We've looked at a couple of different options. Um, it's actually, you know, it's a lot more effective in the shop, but, you know, it's, it is usually a, a large cost. What's driving a lot of it we see actually is our customer base. Mm-hmm. So what we're starting to see from customers like Schneider and Warner and CRing on these big guys, they want a portal. They yeah. want access to 
um, see inside of your location, track your truck from start to finish. Um, so we haven't made that switch yet. Uh, I imagine it's probably going to happen. It seems fairly inevitable at this point. Um, yeah. But a lot of our, you know, a lot of our customer base now is demanding that they're demanding that type of technical uh, input where they can see it, you know, digitally, virtually, yeah. uh, on both sides. So, and I think it would be a huge benefit to our technicians as well um, to be able to, you know, look up at a, a TV screen on the, you know, and on the bay, or to have a tablet in their hand. Um, and be able to track their workers as they go. So the industry really is turning that way. We haven't quite made that switch yet, um, but I think it's coming, you know, not just for us, but I think industry-wide it's going to become a standard. Yeah, we were seeing like an uptick in mobile, like, you know, just uh, d- just the whole idea of uh, private fleets having to uh, shuttle equipment back and forth or shops trying to shuttle equipment, you know, more of that on-site repair or mobile repair kicking in a little bit from social distancing and just less touches, right? Um, and then a little bit just from the way the business was changing. There's, you know, uh, the supply chain was running at full speed, you know, in some cases and things were just breaking down or... We were even seeing where um, emergency uh, roadside repair was up because people were slowing down on maintenance programs, trying to save money while COVID was going on. So yeah. kind of interesting how some of the yeah. technology is playing a role and in tying into um, uh, touchless uh, applications. It's getting big. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of it, even in their internal maintenance tracking for companies, we're seeing a lot of OBD um, type porting yeah. that's, you know, a lot of you know, geo reporting as well as. Um, diagnostic information directly off the trucks. And um, that's kind of the workflow. That's kind of the way they're, they're, the industry is going. You know, they're, they're looking for a digital answer where they're, um, the truck is reporting, you know, GPS data uh, that includes diagnostic information. And that dispatcher, say at CR England, is, you know, creating that, uh, that work order and they're creating the um, incident management. And then they're pushing that out to a location and they're wanting to do all of that seamlessly. You know, where yeah. Even now, you know, for a long time, it's all been over the telephone or via email. Um, we are seeing some big changes. We did, um, we did, and COVID did play a big part in that because um, they were looking at ways of streamlining, you know, distance wise, we looked at some different options there as well. But um, we were seeing an uptick in road calls too. Well, of course, a lot of that, um, kind of a side note there was uh, when they lifted the hours rolling um, for emergency, you know, like food transport, things like that. So we were seeing a lot of guys that were either A, trying to cut costs and keep moving, or uh, B, they, you know, they won't have to shut down as much, so they try to make it as far as they could before they stop moving. And so mm. uh, it was odd. COVID was an odd one for our industry. It really did. Uh, freight was up. I mean, our business was up. We didn't see a huge hit. We did take a little bit of a hit, but um, not nearly. We didn't know what it was going to look like, right? I mean, Nobody did. Yeah. Um, the price stayed strong, um, and we did see um, we did see some growth. Uh, but I think you're right. I think that it's 2020, especially, was a, a good lesson in in the virtual and digital, and what we need for technology um, to be able to respond to not just incidents like COVID, but um, changes in the industry. And they they got to see. I think a lot of fleets got to see how effective it was um, when they went to that kind of digital platform. You know, and they can. Um, streamline their processes. So I think it was a, I think 2020 was probably, it was a terrible year, but I think it was a year of lessons. And I think we're going to see those play out. Yeah. And there's kind of a new normal now. I just going back to the training thing, Tim, how, how much training do you think reasonably can be done online? I know hands-on training, obviously you cannot beat that, but you guys have been kind of forced to figure out, um, I guess that distinction, like where, where you can reasonably draw the line 
on, you know, things that can be captured on video and kind of consumed by the technicians online versus like actually physically handling that drum or whatever. What, what do you think is the percentage breakdown for, for a tech to learn what they need to learn how, or maybe in service training, is it like 80, 20, 80% has got to be hands-on 20% can be online. Is it flipped? A lot of the basics could be learned online. Maybe 80%, 20% is really just the application. What, what do you think that breakdown is? You know, it's, it's, um, we found, we found a lot of different interesting things out during COVID, but, um, we, I would still say you're going to be, um, 80, 20 is probably a pretty good number. It might even be a little higher than that. Um, but that, but, but training and when I do 80% training, like hands-on or 80% hands-on, online. Yeah. But, it, but yeah. when we talk about training, you know, I, it's not just, you know, let's say, you know, we take our wheel in, for example, right? So we take our wheel in training. I can put out, um, a pretty solid video. You know, we do, we've got pretty good, um, pretty good digital version of it. I can show you how it works. I can give you all the keys and the details. Um, but the training for us too, isn't just necessarily that there's someone standing there, that kind of apprenticeship workload. The training is just doing the job. So as a technician, I tell them this all the time. So you're learning every day, every job you're doing is a training exercise. I think what we can do is digitally, and we found this, this is kind of how we did it in 2020, is um, the training really is happening as you're working. What we can do is we can give you a system overview. Um, we can give you pinch points. We call them tech topics, right? Like this is where we see failures most mm-hmm. often. You know, here's a version that you may want to watch out for, kind of et cetera. And then we back that up with our tech support hotline. And so they could call into us and we'd route them to one of these eight senior level, te- you know, master level technicians. And they had access to more data, right? We have, you know, QSL for Cummins or we have PSL for Detroit. And then we would couple that with like FaceTime. So we would say, you know, because the whole job is kind of is the training experience. But then what we could do is digitally, we could come in and say, okay, we're going to kind of be your wingman here. We're going to provide you with the information you need to see, um, specifically, it's always data. It's always a specific, those specific you know, technical uh, specifications that are kind of unknown, right? Like I can tear down a wheel and most guys, I could say, okay, um, just look at this and tell me what you think will happen and kind of tear it down and I'll kind of guide you as you go. Most of them could take it apart. The question is, um, what are my wear items? What are my wear limits? You know, what are my, what's my torque procedure on this wheel end? What's my torque on the hubcap? What's my torque on the wheels? What are the kind of areas that I need this specific um, technical data? And so what we've tried to do is we've tried to couple that digital version to cover that 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 specific information, maybe that they don't know, and then maybe provide some support on the back end, you know, either whether that's with a senior technician or somebody maybe at their location, and let them learn as they work. So when we define training, you know, it's never just it's never just a single experience. It's it's every day. It's every job. Um, so it's probably a pretty large amount that I would define as training hands on. But um, I think that the gap isn't necessarily at that hands on portion, at least only for parts of it. So we try to answer that question. And I think shops we learned a lot in 2020, and I think we did. Um, we did a good job on our warranty. We brought our warranties down. You know, we, we did a fairly good job, actually, even with that our hands-on section. Now, um, that's pretty true all the way up to that mid-level technician. Now, when you get to the heavy-level work, because we do like uh, we do, do injectors, cylinder heads, things like that, um, you want to have somebody there for that hands-on portion. But, um, you know, it's, it's, 
it's changing, you know, because things are, this industry is coming closer to other technical industries um, like IT or medical, where the technology is growing so rapidly that now, you know, the average technician we hire has to be computer literate, has to understand these type of non-visual systems, and has to have that kind of understanding because now the you know, all of our diagnostics are so much more technical um, that we're able to support it in a, in a fashion closer to those other industries where we can do a larger portion of that virtually. So hmm. um, you still can't replace that hands-on, I don't think. Um, I think a lot of it, you know, is that hands-on, but that, that hands-on training might be the job you did every day. It might be what you did tomorrow. Um, and then you just need that kind of support to back you with the information that you're missing. So um, it's changing a lot. And I think uh, virtual is going to work. I think it's going to play a big role, but. Um, so maybe yeah, 20% today, but then growing. I think so. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, especially when you look out there, um, I you know, Kenworth, Freightliner, um, Eaton, they're all coming out with these fully electronic, um, these fully electronic trucks, you know, um, all battery powered stuff. And, um, I've, I've tried to keep my eye on it because it's, it's coming. So, um, a lot of that may be done even without the truck there. I mean, that's what we're looking at. We're looking, you're looking at these type of whole, um, these type of wholly digital systems, you're, you're still never going to replace the hands-on portion, but almost all of your diagnostic may be done remotely, even by your technicians. Yeah. Um, that's what I was wondering is you, like, yeah. it sounds like you're centralizing or you have master techs that, you know, from a call center perspective where you've t torn apart, you know, thousand wheel ends, you, you know, just about everything there is. Plus you've got, you know, a, a book that's given you torque specs. How do you keep up with the new stuff coming out? So there's a bunch of new um, components that come out or maybe it's, it's, it's a hybrid component. Um, are you sending your master techs and like yourself to schools and doing a train the trainer version or is it, do, right. is that, is that how you're kind of approaching yep. that? That's it. And the other part we did, so our, our tech support, our tech support guys, our trainers, um, they still work in shops that okay. I still work in a shop. Yeah. So I, there you um, go. I tell my guys, you know, when we pitched the idea to corporate, I pitched this to them a couple of years ago. Um, they said, Oh yeah, you know, maybe get you an office and this. I said, no, I've got to be in a you shop. You want to be a player coach. Yeah. I, I've got to be because and it, it's the technology aspect as well. I mean, it's, it's changing so fast. I can't disconnect from a location as a trainer. Um, I, I think it's uh, critical that I stay in location because we're seeing new things um, all the time. So Tim, um, I, so I, that, I love but, hearing you say that there's so many trainers we know that are just disconnected from what's really happening on the floor and it only takes a short period of time and you've lost sight of, you know, what the new wheel in looks like. Right. Even now, I mean, a year, I mean, year over year, they changed. We were just doing one. Um, I was just doing a diagnostic this morning, uh, procedural diagnostic with one of our technicians in uh, Missouri. And he had a wheel in on a 2020 Freightliner, and it's got this new Conmet setup. Um, and he said, he says, oh, you know, I said, well, send, you know, he's asked me socket signs or something. I said, well, send me a picture of it or FaceTime me and let's look. And we look, and I says, geez, you know, <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, you know, I send me a picture, and I send it out. Um, we communicate with our tech group. There's eight of them out there, all senior-level master technicians. And I just sent this out, and I said, hey, you know, who's seen this? And of course, about half of them had, you know, so they said, oh, hey, here's what it is. And you need this, take this clip out here. Let's get this clip behind this. And this is the socket size. And, um, and I love to be part of that solution. And I love to, you know, these guys are doing it because, you know, every day they're out there doing the work. So um, if I had been, and this was just a 2020 model, you know, if I had, if I had gone to an office or if I had sent these other guys to an office 
2018 or 2019, we rolled this out, I wouldn't have had the answer. You know, I would have been trying to look at, um, you know, comments website or something. You're calling the manufacturer to get the number and maybe dig the technical data, which you can do. I mean, that's fine, but it's all the little, especially when you get kind of farther along in your career as a diesel technician, you'll find you can, uh, you know, I'd say most technicians can tear anything apart. Putting it back together, that's always the challenge. (laughs) Because there's all these little tricks and there's all these little, uh, these little specs that you have to watch out for and reading a manual usually won't give you that. It's yeah, not going to tell you, Hey, you know, this stud breaks half the time, right? Or this snap ring, it loves to get stuck on the backside. Make sure you use an angled pick. You know, a manual's not going to tell you that. So we, you know, that was kind of part of the agreement with um, corporate when I took this role and as well as with the technicians that we brought on as our tech support guys, Hey, you're going to be in a location. Um, you're still going to wrench, you know, we're still going to, and you may be assigned an apprentice, you know, the apprentice is doing most of the wrenching, but you, know, you still got to work every day. Um, because yeah, like you said, uh, Chris or Jake, it, uh, it's changing. I mean, rapidly and the technology is getting more and more complex. So yeah, um, Tim, before we wrap it up, I, I wanted to touch on that. So, uh, just going back to the electric. So the comment you made on the electric, I mean, from your point of view, um, and I actually have this quote from Bill Gates. Um, let me just read this. Bill Gates said this, uh, EVs, electric vehicles, EVs excel at short haul travel. That means that they're great options for personal cars and even medium duty vehicles like city buses and garbage trucks. But even if we develop cheap long range EVs that are powered by zero carbon sources, electrification isn't an option for many types of transportation. The problem is the batteries are big and heavy. The more weight you're trying to move, the more batteries you need to power the vehicle. But the batteries you use, the, but the more batteries you use, the more weight you add, and the more power you need. So even with big breakthroughs in battery technology, electric vehicles will probably never be a practical solution for things like 18 wheelers. Uh, you know, he's really referring to class seven and eight vehicles and long haul travel. Electricity works when you need to cover short distances, but we need a different solution for heavy long haul vehicles. And that's where you have, you know, hybrid solutions coming in, maybe diesel electric or hydrogen fuel cell electric, so forth. So what are you guys doing um, in terms of training ahead of this? I assume you haven't had an electric semi come through a boss shop yet. No, no. Yeah. And we think we're kind of in line with that. We think regional will be where electric goes. Um, long haul for electric is going to be a real challenge. I think there'll be, that doesn't mean it won't, it'll always be diesel fuel. I think when you're looking for, you're looking for some type of fuel, um, cell revolution, it won't be, I mean, even now battery packs and electronic motors operate like at 99 or 98% efficiency. So we don't see them playing a big role in long haul. Um, we don't see anything yet. Um, most of that stuff is all prototyped and a lot of it, they're testing out in California, some in Texas, I think I've heard. Um, we haven't seen them come across ours. They're all still in market research. Um, but what we're doing is we're monitoring and we think the big players are going to be eaten. Um, they're developing and it's kind of an odd, it's kind of an odd one. Cause you know, for you guys that kind of come from the trucking background, you know, that, you know, Kenworth makes the truck, Cummins makes the engine and Eaton makes the drivetrain. Um, now what you're seeing is that those solutions, the drive quote unquote drivetrain is when you're talking electrical, is all produced as a single body. So there is no engine. It is only all drivetrain. So mm-hmm. um, some players like Eaton um, may are, may emerge as industry leaders. And they're, they're, they're moving pretty aggressively. So, um, But I read up on the studies. I've been monitoring Eaton's. Um, Freightliners just come out with one that's pretty promising. And um, we're kind of watching to see, and mainly we're watching to see how their role will play out, kind of like the way Tesla did. Um, are they looking at opening that up, you know, 
to independent locations or are they going to try and keep it dealer only? You know, right now it's looking like they're going to play it as dealer only. And we're, of course, we're not dealer affiliated, but um, that is something we are considering. Um, a partnership yeah. maybe with Eaton. And by the way, I don't mean that at a corporate level. I'm just saying kind of ideas we've kicked around. But sure. um, because I suspect when it comes, it'll probably be mostly regional um, and that they'll be looking to maintain a dealer network for their maintenance. It's not going to be something that independent's going to see. I don't imagine for quite some time, but um, so we are watching it. Um, we're waiting to see right now. It's kind of a, it's kind of, Tim, a tech, it's kind of a techno war. So, but Tim, and yet even today, um, if you are running a fleet and you need a truck fixed, you almost have the choice of take it to the dealer, let it sit in line for two weeks or right. take it to an independent. And you got to think that um, when electrification comes, um, you know, the, the, law of large numbers that um, is kind of playing itself out in that phenomenon is not going to change. I think it will. I think we will see it. I, I just don't know um, what, how expansive it's going to be. So um, we still don't know who the market leader is going to be. So we're waiting to see which technology is going to fill that role. So um, we don't want to, we will, once we know, once we have kind of a clearer picture of who is going to become the leader, the industry leader, um, I think that's when we'll start to make our big push to either get affiliated with them, with that, with that particular dealer, um, or to begin paying maybe for third-party training. So, um, because it will be, there'll be a big lag time. I think we'll see it. I think we will see it probably in the next 10 to 12 years, but um, we'll have lag times between, you know, technology rights. You know, I mean, it's trying to get the software from the dealer, get the training from them. There'll be a kind of a big lag for independents like us, but, um, I think you're right. I think we will see them. I think they'll have no choice but for us to see them, especially if they want to cross state lines. Um, you know, dealerships can't cover the type of of, of, of uh, footprint that you can get with independent locations. So I think you're right. I think the law of numbers is going to play a role there. Um, but I think we'll have enough time. Um, I think that we'll have a kind of probably a three, you know, two to four year gap um, between when we see them become a norm, you know, a market leader emerges and we see who going to play you know who's going to be the big dog on the on the playground and between then and then the time that we are actually able to work on them as far as when they fall out of warranty and kind of the rest so um so we have a we have a buffer you know and we are very conscientious of it because we do like you said we think it's going to play a big role um, at least regionally i think um i think mr gates is probably spot on with his analysis um when you look at our industry especially heavy haul it's all about it's all about weight ratio because um, they pay you to haul products, not batteries. That's one, that's one I heard the other day. Um, so, um, you know, there'll be some challenges there, but I think you're right. Maybe a hybrid solution. Um, hydrogen is, is promising, but again, you know, we're kind of waiting to see, you know, what is going to emerge at the top? Where are we going to end up here? Um, and short of, you know, maybe a large type of uh, government mandate or something that we're seeing as far as, um, laws being changed. I think that the industry is probably going to play it out over the next decade. So uh, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, Tim Haas, director of shop training and development at boss truck shops. Thank you so much for uh, being with us, Tim. Absolutely. Thanks, Jake, Chris. I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Have a great, have a great one. We'll talk soon, Tim. Thanks for listening to this episode of diesel stories podcast. Be sure to subscribe and check out dieselstories.com for more episodes.